All right, we started with this passage last week, and I'm going to run real quickly through just a few things to kind of catch up those who weren't able to be with us last week. Uh, this passage, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. Isn't that what we're looking for? We're looking for our children to be successful in all that they do. And it says an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Think about what happens if all of us teach our children the right things and how that pervades itself into other generations and other people and the influence that that can build. I I can't remember exactly what the figure is, and some of you math nerds can figure it out. But, sorry, that was ugly. That was right out of the gate. I said that right out of the gate. I'm sorry. Uh, But some of you who are getting, like if you just converted your family, okay, and then let's say that your children all have two or three children, and all of them are brought to Christ, and then all of them are brought to Christ. How long before you get to 10,000 people? It's actually not as long as you would think for it to get to 10,000 people just by you settling in, teaching your children what it's all about to live for God and have faith and to grow in your relationship with God and how that will inspire others to do the same. So that's what we're looking for. That's what we're shooting for. We talked about as we're, as we're talking to our children, and we're going to get into the sexuality part, uh, you know, maybe four, three or four weeks from now. Right now what we're just talking about is if we, if we go to them and talk to them about what God says about sexuality, but we haven't first talked to them about God, then we're starting in the wrong spot. So that's the nature of this class is we're going to try to bring ourselves to having a conversation with our children about becoming a Christian, growing in their faith. And some of you are not there yet. Your children are just simply too young. They're, they're, they're at a stage where they're learning fundamental things right now. And they're not quite ready. But some of you have children. I, I remember Kenzie, our, our daughter... When she was six years old, she wanted to be baptized, you know, and she came to me like over and over. And I mean, I ran out of ways to kind of pump the brakes because she knew everything because she heard songs and she was in Bible class and she was told what to do and in her mind do the next right thing, you know. And so, but she didn't quite comprehend and grasp, you know, the things that she needed to to really understand the relationship aspect of uh, being with God. So we talked about getting past some of our fears last week. I'm not going to get into all those things, but our failings. Uh, a lot of times if we've done things in our life that we're not proud of, we're scared to talk to our children because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question we're going to have to answer. But I'm just saying we talked about this last week, how important it is for us to just be honest and to work through those things. I'm not telling you to bear your soul to your children, but what I am saying is be comfortable sharing with them that you're not perfect. I think that's a really important thing. And then we talked about what it means to live God's precepts out. In talking to our children, we kind of identified four ways to go about this, okay? And I don't think each, either one of any of these are exclusive. I think they're all a conglomeration, okay? The first one is daily conversation. The idea is that we talk often to our children about God, that we are embedding in them faith all the time. Uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, what, when you rise up, when you walk by the wayside, when you sit at the table, and when you lie down at night, right? So that's all day long. Anytime you get an opportunity... And I will tell you, as a person who has a daughter, the little girl who wanted to be baptized is a junior in college now, and that happened so very quickly. And so I'm saying to you, hours are clicking by. And I'm not saying that to scare you or to make you feel regret. I'm just saying we have to take this seriously to have these daily conversations. The next thing is dedication to God. And you may think that sounds like we pray for them to be with God. Yes, that's that's definitely a part of this. But that's taken from... In the passage in Proverbs 22 where it says, train up a child in the way you should go. That word actually means dedicate. 
And the illusion is, like I talked about this last week, a rope in the horse's mouth to guide them where they need to go, right, to, to, to shape them. The training comes as we are continuing to talk to them over and over. We're showing them how this works. And then uh, we talked about discipline, defining boundaries and what that meant, that small adjustments all along the way are better than waiting and letting something get out of hand and having big adjustments. We talked about kind of the, the balance that needs to take place there. And then finally, in James 1, it talks about us being hearers but not doers. And, of course, what we want to say is that the best way for you to help illustrate a principle that you're trying to teach is for you to live that out. And so if you do all of these things and all of it is shaped by what God has to say, then, you know, you're probably going to find yourself moving in the right direction. Are you going to be perfect? Nope. Are your children going to be perfect? Uh, no. And so just keep on, keep on keeping on, and don't let uh, yourselves get too discouraged. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit tonight, because we had a question last week, and I think it was Craig, or maybe it was someone else. How do you know what your kid can absorb at what times? And if you've got the little book, you can kind of follow along here. Try not to work too far ahead. I know some of you are cheaters already, but um, let's, let's look at this real quickly. So what can my kid understand? And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Piaget. Okay, Piaget is a uh, brilliant scientist from the 20th century. Most of his work was done in the 50s, although he did work from the 20s on. And he came up with these stages of development, cognitive development. In other words, what can our children comprehend and grasp? So this portion of this is not going to be necessarily spiritual, although what I would like for us to do as a class is to talk about how you can see these things come to life in your children at these different stages. If you have, uh, like, children who are 0 to 2, raise your hand. Okay? If you have children who are 2 to 7, raise your hand. If you have children 7 to 12, raise your hand. And if you have teens, raise your hand. Uh, we expect you teenage folks to have it all figured out by now, right? And be able to tell us a little bit. All right, so this is what, this is what these different stages are referred to as and what they mean as far as their development. So if you look at this, the first stage is the sensory motor stage. And this is from infancy to two years. And it says that they are stimulated by physical interaction. So it's a lot of touching, hugging, holding. It's a lot of, uh, you know high-fiving. It's a lot of fist bumping. I mean, I see a lot of you have small children, and you're all, I mean, it is so amazing to me that when you guys walk in, that I can walk up to those children, and they're like, you know, 15 months old, and I'll go, give me some fist, and they're like, <laughs> they don't know what to do, but they, you know, they know to do that. It's pretty cool. Development of motor skills builds intelligence. The things that they do allow them to begin to develop like spatial awareness and those kinds of things. They acquire object permanence, memory, at seven months. So what does that mean? That means you can hold an object up in front of them, and for the first six months you can put that away, and it's as if it's not, it never did exist, right? But seven, like, all of y'all are talking about like hiding pacifiers and stuff, right? I, I can see it happening. Like, it, it, where is that pacifier? I don't know. So, um, but at seven months, they become wise to it. They, they begin to know what's happening and, and what you're trying to do and how things that were there can't be taken away. That cookie is still somewhere. You know, they, they get it. All right? Physical development allows mobility, and, of course, with mobility, curiosity, getting into things. I mean, man, the first time those kids get into I mean, we, we had those little baby locks, you know, for the cabinets. Had these little twist type things, you know, and I thought that is impenetrable until we had Gage. And then Gage, like, 
I mean, like Kenzie, well, she's like two and a half years older than Gage, and one day when she was six or seven, she was having a problem with it, and Gage walked over and said, here, here you go, Kenzie, <laughs> and opened it up like crazy. But that was, that was part of his learning process, all right? Symbolic language skills develop. What, what does that mean? That just means like there are certain objects that mean certain things to them, and they, they relate those things. And then what they begin to learn at this first, these first two years is that their actions can cause things to happen around them. And that's why you see them when, we, when they drop something and it goes splatter everywhere. And you go, oh, my goodness, and you start cleaning up there. <laughs> and then what do they do the next time? Drop it again, you know, and over and over and over again, right? That's kind of how they're learning. They're, they're touchy-feely, okay? Um, so they use their senses to develop cognitively. So when we're talking to our children, and especially, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, Jordan Abrams is an unbelievable resource with this. He's got a million children's songs. I mean, he really does. Like when, when Andrew and I preach too long, I mean, that never happens. But when we preach too long, you know, and he's back there with, with Kids Corner, you know, he can just keep rolling for a long time. But even he has his limit, right? Uh, but I would, I would encourage all of you to talk to him and see if he's got like a running list of songs that he would share with you that, that helped embed biblical truths, okay, into your, to your children's minds. I mean, all of us may have grown up hearing that, here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized in the water, raised with Christ to follow him and live like you ought to. You know, that's, that's what my parents sang to us all the time. Uh, and they did all kinds of ways of, of making sure that I was hearing their voice, that we were singing together, that we were learning things together. I know um, listening to Jason talk about Nora, Nora is one who hears a song one time and can sing it again, and she's got it, and that truth is embedded in her heart. That's a very powerful way to teach them. Uh, we talk about this pat-pat the Bible, you know, love to touch things. They love to imitate our facial expressions. I mean, how many times do we, you know, do the faces and try to get them to do it back and all that stuff, and it's really sweet and cute, okay? Infants are great. They react to touch. They, they love hugs. They love kisses. They love holding your hand. They love being with you, right? So, what happens at uh, two to six years? Well, intelligence is demonstrated through symbols. I'll explain this in just a moment. Maturation of language, increased vocabulary, memory and imagination develop. This is a really cool time when they start playing games and they're doing things in their room on their own and it seems like they've got a friend in the room with them and they're just talking and running on and on about things. That's part of their developing, their creativity. It's part of their imagination. It's part of them trying to put some things together. It's them observing their environment and piecing together how you act and behave, and they're modeling that for you. So if you want to see how you behave, go watch your kids. They'll probably display all the things that you're showing them. Uh, most thinking is non-logical, non-reversible. What that means is that if you were to give them a system of thinking, they could not reverse it. All right, it means they have to learn that. They have to develop a little bit deeper f before they can kind of piece things together. So when you're talking about, like, systems, like if you're talking about a process of, of uh, giving your life to God, okay, some of that is a little bit beyond them. They're just not able to piece those little steps together. They may know how to do a certain task, but only because of repetition, not because it's methodical and logical in their mind. And then they're egocentric. And this is not a bad thing, okay? Like when we hear egocentric, we think like full of yourself and those kinds of things. That's not what it's talking about. It just means that they see things purely from their own perspective. So it's all about what they see. 
and what they experience. Let me see if I can explain, uh, demonstrate it through symbols. Okay, here are two pictures of my beautiful daughter, Kenzie. Um, that on her head, I assume, is a welder's mask, or what do you call it, welder's lid? I, I don't know. Okay, and she is changing the tire with a snorkel. Okay? So in her mind, what she had seen somewhere else, she associated that to these things, and in her imaginative mind, that's what that was. She was welding her bicycle back together. I love that picture. Crazy. Had on roller skates. I mean, like that. there's so much wrong with that picture. It's, it's hilarious <laughs> to me. But then the other one, it looks so sweet. What is she doing? It's a rock. It's not a, it's not a shell, you know. She's always heard that you could l- listen to a shell and hear the ocean. And she's like, I can hear the ocean. We're like, yeah, it's like right there, you know. <laughs> but in her mind, all of these things connected, and she's having the time of her life, right? That's that kind of thing we're talking about, how they take symbols. Okay, egocentric. This is really fascinating to me. And I don't know if you've ever uh, studied up on this at all, but there's a test that they do to measure whether a child at what age becomes less egocentric, okay, where they stop seeing things just from their perspective. So they have this little test that Piaget created back in the 50s, and there have been other tests that are similar to it to try to see if there's another way for us to define when this age starts because typically it's in that age of 6 to 7 before they're able to transition over to this kind of thinking. But the test is simply this. they got three different mountains that they put it on a little platform and they label each side of that square okay and so what they do is they have a child come in and they say now just look at everything look at all of it observe it all and they walk around the table and they see everything and they look at it and they're like cool that's a mountain with you know with snow or that's trees or that's a house on top of that mountain or whatever and they just through their own observation skills they allow them to walk around and see this which is really cool then they take like an object, a stuffed animal or something, and they put it somewhere on that table. And then after a while, they said, have you seen everything? Yes. Well, then they asked the question, well, which of these photographs is what the stuffed animal is seeing? Okay, so those kids will go through those pictures, and almost always they will pick what they see, not the stuffed animal. Why is that? because they haven't learned to imagine yet what someone else's perspective is. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So they assume at this stage that everyone has the same exact life experience, that everyone has the same perspective, that everyone sees things exactly the same. And even though our kids are different and they have different personalities, it's amazing to me that, that they're not quite there yet to see that. But that's why, they're, that's why we say they're egocentrical is because they are not quite ready to see things from someone else's perspective. That's part of their development. So toddlers use their motor skills to learn, play with toys, objects. They learn please and thank you and please and thank you. Teach your kids please and thank you. Uh, That is such an important thing. Uh, Growing up, my parents did not require us to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Okay, it wasn't about being disrespectful. I don't remember you, Chad. Do you remember our parents ever going? You tell me that. No, I don't remember that. They never, they never corrected us and said, "Yes, sir." They never did that. 
Okay, well, I got, you know, on into middle school and high school, and I played athletics. And uh, my coach was a very spiritual guy who worshipped at Beltline Church of Christ. I grew up in Decatur. He was my baseball coach, which was great because he understood, like, my, my need to be at church and, you know, those kinds of things. It was a wonderful setup. But I remember one time he said, hey, Presnell, uh, you think you got it today? You think you can go on the mound and start? And I said, yeah. And he looked at me and said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I, I can do it. He said, I'm, I'm shocked by that, Presnell. I said, okay, I'm, like, I, I'm so confused, you know. He said, the answer is yes, sir. Always respect me. Don't ever be disrespectful to me. And I was like, wow, never thought that. Well, now I'm yes, sir, yes, ma'am to everybody. That, that, that really affected me that I had not done that on a regular basis. And I will tell you, when you tell people yes, sir, yes, ma'am, when you say please and thank you, when you are kind and considerate and thoughtful in that way, as you teach your children that, let me tell you, their stock climbs with their teachers they climb with all their friends, with their friends' parents. Like, just think about what it means to have children who are respectful that way and show that kind of uh, appreciation for other people. You know, we talked about this in discipline, but there is a need for us to establish what yes and no mean. Uh, that is so important. Because yes and no are the kind of earliest detection of what's right and what's wrong. Okay, and sometimes we know this, no is about their safety. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one time we were at a family function. We were having a, a great time as a family. Uh, Cindy was not there. She was sick, I think, and so I had the two littles. I had Gage and Kinsey with me, and all the big kids were outside playing, throwing football across a road into a field. So they were in one yard throwing a football over into a field with a road in between. And so she was dying to go outside, and, and someone said, well, we'll watch her. And they did for a few minutes, right? But then, of course, you know what happens. She wants the ball that they're throwing. They throw it over the road, and she heads to the road, and there's a car zipping down through there, you know, 30 or 40 miles per hour. And we all screamed, no. And immediately she stopped. You know what I mean? And so that... that Conditioning her mind to recognize no means that's it was a very, very important thing. I mean, Kinsey may not be here if, if she did not respond because we weren't right there on top of her. You understand what I'm saying? So yes and no are very important, not just for those kind of situations, but just to help train your child to know what the boundaries are in life. So make sure that you feel comfortable doing that. That's a foundational principle of right and wrong. And then, of course, they love to be read uh, books. I'm going to share a story down the road maybe before this class is over with, about a time that Kenzie and I were reading one night. But that was part of our routine, is we would go to bed. I had a Bible story book. I don't know if you've got one. If you don't have one, please go get one. So encouraging to listen to your children tell you what they already know as you're reading these Bible stories to them, as they kind of engage with it, and as they see the pictures and they automatically recognize where that story is and what it's about. Uh, you'll find encouragement in that. You'll, you'll enjoy reading to them. It's very, you know, kid-friendly, and it's a very good time for them to see the substance of what they're learning here at church, that it, what, it is what you're teaching them at home as well. And then 
through this time frame, they began to learn, you know, love and trust and fear. And it's a very simplistic at this stage, but important for us to make sure that they're getting that. Preschoolers develop memorization skills. Um, that's why you see some of our Madison Kids Care folks uh, sending stuff home for them to memorize and to, to think about. Jordan Abrams, I'm telling you, he's awesome. He goes into that, uh, that preschool and he does chapel for them, and he has them memorizing a lot of different things, the books of the Bible, the apostles, and a lot of different things. Uh, so again, like, get a list. Go through the Bible. Pull them down. Like, talk to your kids. Begin to help them memorize those things. It'll help them later on down the road. I mean, listen, to this day, I'm 48 years old. When you say, you know, turn to Nehemiah, I'm like, this is excellent physical. I mean, like, I go through that in my mind, too, because I had to memorize that so long ago. Uh, they're going to test their boundaries. Uh, they're going to begin lying, talking back. They're going to begin bullying. I mean, all these things happen. And the church said, mm-hmm. And we all have to deal with it, right? So um, just understand that. Grow through structure and routine. Um, structure and routine are a really, really important thing. Uh, we, are, we were not like baby Nazis with like, uh, what was it called, Cindy? Baby wise. Have y'all ever heard of Baby Wise? Okay, it was a book on like establishing, you know, like mm, clockwork, baby, huh? Sleep and eat. Oh yeah, like yeah, it's all it's all scheduled, right? And that that works great. On so we had a modified version of that that worked for our family, uh, but there is something very powerful in knowing when the child is ready to go to sleep that you put them to sleep because of their development. Listen, most of our growth takes place while we're sleeping. That's the truth of it. I mean, we go to sleep, everything shuts down. So our bones can grow and stretch and move and all those things. And if we're not giving them adequate rest, then that is hindered, that is stunted. So let's make sure that we do that. All right. Anybody got any questions or anything? How do you see all this playing out in your, in your, in your homes? Anybody had a thought while we were talking about these things? Funny story? Anything to share? Yes. This past Sunday, we had our men's and women's training class after service. And instead of coming to worship, coming to the class, she allowed her two-year-old to kind of dictate because she was acting out that she just decided not to come. And I just, as a minister's wife, I want to be able to share these things with her because just thinking about all the stages I've been through, I'm like, yep, we've done that. Mm -hmm. But just trying to figure out a way to be encouraging to her because I don't want... A child should not dictate what adults do. I mean, we're their guide. So I'm just kind of struggling with that, that she's not, she's not setting those boundaries. Right. Is this a person that, uh, that you think would be receptive to you coming and talking to them just on a very loving way and... It's probably exhaustion speaking. I mean, anybody else in here ever felt exhausted when bringing up your kids? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm exhausted and my kids are way older now. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, 
it's easy for the tail to wag the dog sometimes uh, because in our minds sometimes, oh, just give them what they want and let them go. But, but we're training them to act out so they get what they want. It's kind of like, you know, when we would take our kids out for, for uh, well, Cindy was the, she was the, uh, I don't know, sergeant at arms. I don't know what you call it. Uh, she was the enforcer during worship. I mean, I did too. It's not like I didn't do it as well. But, uh, you know, she would take our kids out, and it wasn't to go for a walk or to play or let's go out here and have fun for a few minutes. It was like walk out, execute justice, and then, and then let's see if we can straighten up or ding, 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 round two. I mean, that's kind of how it was in our world. I mean, yeah, I've told you all, Gage went out like something like seven or eight times, one service. I mean, he, he, uh, he was determined to go another round, and so he did, you know. And ultimately, what we've seen, though, is that persistence, that consistency, that discipline with love, and I, I, I absolutely want to keep reminding us that discipline is love. Like, we have this idea that that, that pain that they feel sometimes is going to harm them forever. No, it's not, but it will remind them not to do that again. And so we have to be really, really careful that we don't go overboard but we do have to shape them into what they need to be. And they do need to know that there is an authority. They do need to know that there's someone in charge of them. They need to know that someone cares enough about them to keep them straight. And I will tell you that in time, not in the moment, but in time they will come to know that your love for them is, is seen in the discipline that you provided for them. Yes, sir. Sure. You know, my dad, my dad came from a very strict discipline home, and a lot of times growing up, I struggled with with that because he wasn't quick to explain to me why you know, I was in trouble. And so I just, I feared my dad sometimes out of respect, and I just knew that hey, you know, his way was the hot way. But yeah. I think educationally, it's better to explain to your children I've, I've thrown this out several times before, but there's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And the point of that book is a guy by the name of Ted Tripp, I think, wrote it. Uh, the point of that book is that you are, not, you are not correcting your child out of embarrassment or out of, out of anger. You're correcting that child so it brings about the holiness and the righteousness of God. And so whenever you do that discipline, it's important to let them know what they violated you know, whether it's disobedience or whether it's a principle that God has given us that we have not shared with them. There are times our children are going to need discipline, but they don't know they did wrong. And, and, and you got to, that's a different kind of discipline, right? That's more of a sit down and talk and let them know what they've done wrong. Let them know what's wrong about it and to kind of step them through that. And, and definitely discipline needs to be with love. My father, Chad can attest to this, he would spank us. And then he would give us a moment. He would come back in the room, sit down with us, hold us, hug us, and kiss us on the head and say, I love you. I just want you to know I'm doing this because I love you. I want you to be a good boy. I want you to be the right kind of man someday. And so those kinds of principles play out with love once our kids realize that it's still a safe place for them to be. Right? So we need to make sure that we clearly communicate that. Anybody else? Yes, sir. 
remember, I think we had a, I don't remember if we were visiting or we had joined, but, uh, you know, there was a meal after service. And a lot of times, you know, that's right around that time for us. So we're trying to get home and everything like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Mr. Fred. I was just like, yeah, we're going to get on out of here, you know, get back to now. He was like, nah, good guy. But just that encouragement, just like, you know, let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to say something else too in response to your to your question. I think what is really important is because I think we're afraid to, to correct somebody else's children sometimes, but part of that is because we have not given other people the permission to help correct ours. Does that make sense? So I think if we're, if we're on the front side of that saying, hey, you're a trusted friend. I mean, listen, he and I, Wesley and I, Kevin and I, we, we talk about this all the time. You see my kid out of line, jerk or not. I mean, we say that to each other, right? Because I trust Wesley's principles, right? I trust him to help bring up my child. Trust Kevin to help bring up my child. These are guys that I have confidence in that they will teach my child the right things, right? And they'll hold them accountable. So I think on some level we have to have that conversation with someone and just say, hey, I need your help. You know, if you see my child, you give them permission and give everybody, make, make it known. And that helps, like, open yourself up to being more receptive to that. Because I think all of us, when someone comes and says, your kid, <laughs> you know, our first response is, he would not do, you know, like that's, that's our first response. The next response is, I'm going to kill him, you know. <laughs> Can't do either of those, right? But if we have the right relationship with each other, that becomes a little bit easier. And I'm assuming you have a great relationship with this lady. So I would say just go to her in love and say, can I help? Just I want to be here to help you and support you. I noticed it was a struggle the other day. What could I have done to help you this next time? Maybe that's a way to start that conversation. All right, let's keep moving here. All right, so we'll get to the 7 to 12-year-olds. Uh, and this is where they, they become really fun to have exchanges with. I mean, as they're learning and growing. Now, they'll argue with you left and right about things because they're learning stuff and it, they're just absorbing everything that they see and, 
experience. They know computers better than you do, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's just a really, really cool time. But they, they get this idea of comparison and measurements and reasoning and those kinds of things. They do get to logical thinking, like if this, then this. They begin to understand those kinds of things. So again, as you're talking to your children about spiritual things, then you're trying to help them understand if we sin... That creates a separation between us and God. You know, like you're trying to help them understand that logic. Uh, Systematic manipulation of symbols relative to concrete established objects. This is where they can take some inanimate object and make it something else. Okay, that's where they could take a a stick and they could make it a person walking around the house or whatever. Okay, it's part of that imagination and, and, and stuff. Operational thinking means that they can take a system and reverse it. They can start troubleshooting things and figuring things out, backing up and what did I do wrong and how do I start back over. They can do those kinds of things. And oddly enough, this is a beautiful time because now they're in school, they're interacting with a lot of different people, they're beginning to see that the way that they have always done something, there's another kid that can do it better and he does it differently and they observe it and they want to be more like that. So they begin to take on new perspectives because they think it will provide them an advantage or a little, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll be as good as that other person doing something. And so they begin to make these comparisons and they begin to start asking themselves the question, is what I know exactly right? So they stop getting so singular focused and they begin seeing other perspectives. That's a great thing. So <clears throat> at this stage, I mean, that looks good to me too. I don't, I don't know about y'all that <laughs> hadn't had dinner yet. So, um, but what, at this stage in their development, they can take something like this where it's two candy bars of the exact same size and they can be cut up in all different shapes and sizes, but they will still know in their mind that that's still the same amount of candy bar. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's one of the examples that was used as I was looking through this. So that's kind of one of those things to just kind of help illustrate it. So they, uh, at this stage, they're solving problems. They're building their understanding based on their life practices and experiences. The things that have gone on in their life, they're learning from those experiences. So that's where this discipline and, and instruction begins to help them even more because now they're learning from that mistake. It seems like forever to get to this part, Okay. Because you think, I'm saying that over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually, I'm told, it clicks. <laughs> All right? Mm-hmm. So the ability to explain and understand how things happen. And they are, <laughs> this makes me laugh. They should be able to focus on attacks from 15 minutes to an hour. Again, Piaget did not know about cell phones. Is that one or two? That's one. All right, let's keep moving. All right, so... Um, What about 13 and up? No known forms of intelligence. You can read that. I probably don't need to say that into the microphone. Anyway, this is a a unique time. Is that the right way to put it? Okay. I'll just keep moving. All right. Logically speaking, they can think and apply things. They begin to understand abstract thinking. Uh, concepts they're able to develop more of a the ability to see like analogies uh, you know give you an example and this is not to, I, I feel like I tell all my kids all the time they kind of know it's part of the gig uh, I think they still love me in spite of it um, but I had a kid who recently got in trouble not because he did anything wrong but because he was in a room with people who were doing something wrong okay 
Uh, he's in baseball at Sparkman, and, you know, there were some boys who decided they were going to do a little initiation thing, so they brought these two little freshman guys in and said, all right, we do a little initiation here. It's called slap fighting, you know. <laughs> and so, like, it, you know what happens. It starts playful, and then some kid gets their bell rung a little bit, and then they respond, and then someone gets out the phone, TikTok, you know. And so they put it on TikTok. The mom finds out. School gets in trouble. All that stuff happens, right? And then they start going, TikTok video. And they start going, oh, there's Gage Presley. You know, like over there in the back corner, not doing anything. But I could say to him, you know, son, there's a reason that there's a story about Paul holding the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen. You know, like there's, there's a reason that's in there. Got to learn that, that principle, that lesson. You don't need to be a part of a crowd of stuff that's going on bad. You just need to remove yourself or you need to stop what's going on. Like that's a teachable moment. We have to learn to do that and to use those moments to teach our kiddos. All right, so increased need for independence, egocentric. They go back to that, by the way. In, the, in their teenage years, they go back to, it's all about me, my perspective. You know, they say crazy, like, four-year-old things, like, you know, say, hey, Dad, can I go out with the youth group tonight at church? No, not tonight. Man, I'll never get to go out with my friends ever. You know, like, <laughs> it's like bizarre, like, jump from, I didn't get to go this time to never. I mean, it, it is... It's wild. All right. Um, all right. It's all in the book. Okay, I'm going to keep moving because I want to get to this next part here. Because what we're trying to do with all of this, and I've got just a few minutes to do this, is we're trying to take the precepts that God gives us, and early on we're just teaching the precept. It's just the principle that they need to know. It's just the truth of God that we need to keep pouring into them over and over and over again. Someone read for me Psalm 19, 7 through 11, real quickly. Someone else, I'll, I'll get the other two, but someone get Psalm 19, 7 through 11. If you got to go. Okay, so summarizing it, like there are several things in there, but basically God's Word is your standard for truth. It's going to help you. It's going to be life to you. It's going to help. It's going to define things for you. And ultimately, you can trust God. That's basically what you get out of that text. 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 is the passage where Paul tells Timothy, he says, and, and from a child you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So, you know, all scripture is, uh, is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, adequately, adequately equipped for every good work. Okay, that's what that passage says. So we're learning that God's word is really powerful to give us everything that we need. Psalm 119, 105, very familiar. Your word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. Those are the precepts. God's Word is going to be our guide along the way. And if you are teaching your children these principles, then what they begin to understand is God's Word is important. Like if I keep saying this over and over to them, if I keep referring back to a godly principle, what God says, if I can show them in the Scriptures that this is not something I'm making up to be brutalizing you as a parent, this is just what God is asking of me as your parent, 
then what happens is they begin to understand that God's Word is the driving force for what you're doing. Stay put. Real quickly, moving on to the next part. We're trying to take the precept, though, and we're trying to turn it into a relationship with them. So what's the difference? Psalm 19 talks about how great God's Word is, how powerful it is, what it does for us, how it tastes. It's all those things that's wonderful. About. But the next one, Psalm 119.11 says, In your Word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Do you understand? You're taking the principle and you're applying it now to their life so they recognize in doing this I'm pleasing to God. It's not just that these things are true. It's that my life is going to be blessed by it and I'm going to have a relationship with the God of the heavens. 2 Peter 1, 3-11 is a big long list of things that we take from our faith and we add these things and we grow in our faith. And it says that if we do those things, and it's talking about adding to our faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And it says if these things are yours and are increasing, in other words, we're continuing to do these things, they're going to make us fruitful. Okay, we're going to be bearing fruit and being what God wants us to be. And in doing so, we're going to have an abundant entrance into heaven. Read it. Those passages are powerful. Okay, in Psalm 119, 105, it says, God's Word is a lamp and a light. You look in the New Testament, Ephesians 5 tells us that we're supposed to be the light bearers. We're supposed to walk in light. It's supposed to resonate out of us to demonstrate that so they can see what the light looks like. What goodness and righteousness and holiness looks like. So when he says in Matthew 5, 16, you know, you're the light of the world. You know, a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand so everyone can see it. Therefore, do all these good things, right, so God will be glorified. You are the bearer of that light. You have a relationship with God, and His Word embody, is embodied in you, and that's how it plays out. We become a person who models that for other people. And that's what we're trying to do with our children. We're taking the precept, the concept, and we're transitioning it over to a relationship. And that's part of our challenge. All right, y'all get out of here. Love y'all.